0: Uh, We're going to look at 1 Timothy and chapter 3. We're going to read from verse 1. It seems quite a while ago that I last preached. When I did, we looked at the first of the trustworthy sayings um, that Paul uh, writes in the group of letters that are referred to as the pastoral epistles. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. There are five trustworthy sayings in all of those books. And we've looked at one of them. We're going to look at the second one of them. We may not look at any more of them, but uh, just thought it'd be interesting to let you know why we've jumped a bit uh, from when we last were here. So here we go. Uh, 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. Come up on the screen as well. Here is a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now, the overseer must be above reproach. The husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. So that, wonderful. So that is our passage for this morning. I should hasten to add as well. Quite, I feel rusty. You can tell I've been away for a couple of weeks. It is a delight to be in all together, all ages, as ever, on a Sunday morning. If you want to yay, feel very free, amens, hollers, hallelujahs even, whatever your age, uh, go for it. Uh, we're very happy for a bit of background noise. Um, and so if you've got young children here with you, please don't feel any awkwardness. We love having them with us and uh, trust that all of us are able to get hold of something of what God's Word has for us this morning. If the if the volume level rises um, kind of beyond background into awkward, um, then uh, you can take a few moments in the lobby or in the room above the lobby um, uh, to, to settle little ones, then bring them back through. Uh, little ones, if the big ones next to you start to get a little bit twitchy, a bit restless, then just remind them it's okay. Tea and coffee is served afterwards. You don't have ages to wait until your next caffeine hit. I mean, uh, opportunity for fellowship. At the end of the meeting. Um, Anyway, back to one Timothy uh, chapter three. We're going to look today at the uh, the subject of church leadership, and in particular, uh, eldership, uh, which is a somewhat unusual topic. Uh, It can feel slightly awkward to preach, but it's important for us to consider. Um, It's quite a key, relevant subject at the moment for us, specifically as a church. Well, why is that? Well. We've just sent one elder and his wife and family, Mark and Debbie, Grace and Josh, uh, to Canada at the end of uh, of July. Uh, we released them and sent them uh, because we believe God has, uh, has purposed them to go and be part of a church there near Toronto in Ontario. Mark having served as an elder of this church for, for well over 10 years and uh, we've just sent them on their way. So we're one down. Um it's also relevant that we're soon going to be appointing one. So a few weeks ago I announced that uh uh, looking forward to to Richard Owen coming into eldership, uh part of the church here for a number of years and particularly a member of the North uh congregation, and uh no one has taken the opportunity to jump up and down and say we saw him stumbling out of a pub uh late at night with some unsavoury characters. Dan, I'm not sure you've got the right idea here. Um so I think we're still on good ground and looking forward to seeing him appointed in, at some point, hopefully during this next uh, term. It's also relevant in that uh, that actually leaves us, at the moment, with one, only one elder um, in the church. So a relevant, timely subject to be looking at this trustworthy saying, specifically for us, but generally that's the case too, because surely for any healthy Church, to, to grow, be a, a vibrant community of God's people, it needs healthy, growing, vibrant elders. And so Paul is bringing this teaching to Timothy, who at the time was in Ephesus, saying, see, this is important to get this right. It's important not to rush. Uh, it's important also, however, to encourage a a culture of godliness and leadership that means we're in a position to be able to uh, appoint new elders uh, now and in the years to come. There's a guy uh, who leads a church in South Africa by the name of PJ Smythe. He's written a handy booklet called The World Need More Elders. And actually, it's a free pamphlet that you can download from the internet. And uh, I'm inclined to agree with him. Uh, I think we need that just for us as a church. But the, ch- the whole world needs vibrant, healthy, growing churches. Um Uh, new churches that are planted as well as established churches that are, uh, that are themselves planting. And, uh, in that pamphlet, PJ Smythe brings an interesting rule of thumb. He says, in any church, the leaders of that church should try and work out roughly how many elders they think they need in order to, to lead the church well. Uh, Perhaps they'll be considering the size of the city, but the number of people they've got in the city, the number of projects and so on that need to be overseen. Um, and then he, he gives this rule of thumb. So work out that number, first the number that you think you need. Then multiply it by three. And that's the number of elders you should be aiming to have in your church. Sounds a little bit odd. His justification is this. You need one batch to be leading the church in the here and now. You need another batch that are ready to to come and to to be elders as the church grows. And you need another batch of elders that are uh, being prepared to be sent to plant new churches or to be involved in established churches um, elsewhere around the country, around the world. Um, And so if you take that rule of thumb, at the moment I would say this church requires 12 elders and we have one. <laughs> so uh, my prayer, <laughs> and I invite you into the same one too, is that it would be our experience as a church to raise many elders, but also to send many elders. We've we've done a bit of that. Maybe Mark has got the ball rolling as we've, we've kind of gone through a journey of realizing that God has called him and, a fam- and his family uh, to go and be part of another church. And God God prepared us for that in terms of prophetic words about a box being broken up that gold might come out. box being broken up, a painful process, but God is doing something good. And I believe God is doing something good uh, in sending Mark and Debbie and their kids uh, to Milton. So I'm sure they would uh, welcome our prayers uh, as well. So we want to be a community that is raising elders and... Sending elders and that that will happen in these next few months and years, but actually it's going to happen through the years. Uh, because, well, God has given us, uh, and hopefully every church has one, a substantial vision. Uh, believing for uh, multiple congregations throughout this city. So the, ho- the whole world needs more elders, um, but I think we can own that for ourselves As a church, it might be that you're here, you're in your teens, or you're even younger than that. And you have maybe a a kind of a hidden, kind of quiet, but growing desire and sense of call to desire to lead God, a church in the future. Or to play a part in leading a church. Well, well, here we are. We've got a saying that says, if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. God doesn't want to squash godly, humble aspiration. Um, so you might be in your teens. Well, hopefully this, uh, the message today will, will help you. Perhaps you're in your, your fifties or your sixties. You're thinking culturally, what, the nation says, what the world says, or perhaps what, what society expects, is that you kind of reach a certain age, and you, you retire. Actually, what you need to do, kind of around the age of about 60 or so, is pass on the baton. Um, because you're kind of yesterday's crop of, of leaders. You need to release the, the uns. And well, that might well be the case, in, to some extent, that we're expecting young people to come through and lead. But that's not biblical. And we've been reminded of Joshua and Caleb, who uh, went into the promised land and gave a faithful report uh, of what they found, waited 40 years. So by the time they go into the promised land themselves, they're into their 80s. And you've got Caleb saying, I'm just as strong as I was when the day I went in and spied out the land. I'm going and getting it. I'm not just passing on the baton. I've got inheritance. God's got purpose for me. So give me my inheritance, I'll go up, I'll beat those giants, follow me. In other words, he's 85. Well, God hasn't said to Caleb to retire or just to meekly pass the baton on. And so I believe that actually in God's church and certainly in the church that grows, um, as a church grows, you see an eldership reflect the church. And therefore it's a varied group of men of variety of ages, backgrounds, Cultures even who are equipped together to, uh, as a, as a united team lead the church. So do not count yourself out, um, in either way. I'm too young, I'm too old or whatever. It's a noble task. What we're going to look at is this noble task. We're going to then look at the, the necessary traits, the necessary character that is spelled out in this passage. And then, before we conclude, look at the nasty traps uh, that leaders, in particular, need to be aware of. So, firstly, it is a noble task. We see, see that in verse one. Here is a trustworthy saying: If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Kind of raises the question: What what are elders to actually do? What do elders do? It's a bit of a mystery. Isn't it? Um, because okay, Friday evening as it stands in this church, elders are involved in leading that. Uh Sunday, fairly busy on a Sunday. What the, what happens the rest of the week? I quite like to pretend that um, that you just kind of sit poised <coughs> by a desk <coughs> with a red phone. <coughs> 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 Waiting for it to ring, and when it rings, it will glow red. Yes, okay, I'm coming. And mostly, it doesn't have to be like this. Um, but as elders, we mainly work from home, which means you've got to adapt your home slightly. Uh, my study is in the uh, squash of water. water. Brilliant. <laughs> Deprive one of the children. Um, so you've got to adapt your home a little bit. Got a, a, a study upstairs. And so, then obviously you need to get the fireman's pole, so that when emergency calls, you can just jump. And then by the time you've reached the bottom, you've changed into lycra, and then you you run to the back cave. I mean the garage. You get the car, the I mean the the Kia Seed, yeah, okay, family vehicle. But you can put some Go Faster stripes on if you want, and then race into Gotham City. Um, by which I mean Sheffield, and um, and that is the life. That's a life of a pretty accurate picture of a life of an elder midweek. Um, no, I, it's a little bit more Delboy and Rodney, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, than that. So, so what? What is it? What 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 is it that elders do actually do? What is the task? What is the the, the work? And I, it might be that I don't manage to lift the lid on the mystery entirely, but it's probably best that we consider. Uh, scripture, uh, rather than comics, or only fools and horses. Um, so, let's turn as well to Acts chapter 20. This is actually an occasion where Paul is meeting with the Ephesian elders. He sends for them, it says, in Acts 20 and verse 17. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. This is the last occasion he's going to speak to these guys in person, uh, from the passage of scripture we're reading, he is writing to Timothy, who now is in Ephesus, perhaps even meeting with some of the same elders as we will see. He goes on to say to them in verse 28, to these this group of leaders, this group of elders, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God. And so in that passage alone, we see three uh, terms Not particularly titles, three descriptions of what the role is and what they're doing. One term is elder. And if you like, that term was was borrowed and adopted from Jewish culture because any Jewish community or synagogue would have had its group of leaders. Senior, respectable men uh, appointed with the authority to govern and to teach their community or the synagogue. Uh, so that's the, the Jewish term. We also see the term overseer, which we see here in uh, 1 Timothy 3. Uh, and that was more of a Roman term, from Roman culture. It was a, a word that was described, uh, uh, used to, to label the, the leader of a colony uh, in Roman rule. So he was responsible to uh, manage the colony. Now, it's not necessarily borrowing the whole concept, but Paul wanted to use terms which people would be familiar with. So Jewish people would be more familiar with elder. Uh, Gentile people would be more familiar with the word overseer. Therefore, in certain passages, we see both terms being used. They're used interchangeably. Um, and so, you know, in, in the life of a church, there's there are things to, to manage and oversee. Uh, be that uh buildings, finance, uh, organization, pastoral care, evangelism, whatever it might be, these things need to be uh, looked over and carefully uh, watched and uh, managed by overseers. It also involves this term, this third term, shepherd. And this really shows us that there's an element also of, of leading. We might think of shepherding as quite a static thing. You have your sheep in a field. They stay in that field and occasionally go to the barn. That's kind of all that's involved. Uh, but in the ancient world, obviously, a shepherd would would be leading and guiding, using his voice, his flock from one area to another on the quest to find good pasture, leading them on a journey. So it's not a static role. So shepherds are to lead the flock, provide good pasture, uh, which we might look at in terms of uh, good teaching. They're compassionate and As demonstrated by the good shepherd, the chief shepherd of the sheep, the Lord Jesus Christ. These are people who, like him, uh, in some ways will be laying down their lives. There should be a Christ-likeness about these men. And so Paul writes here, if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. He is encouraging humble, godly aspiration. Noble because this is important. It's good. It's vital for healthy church life uh, to have healthy uh, church elders and leaders. It's worthy to be aspired to. And it's also a task. It's not an honorary position that you just get for kind of having been around for a while. uh, That doesn't actually involve anything at all. It's just it's a badge that might be worn but it has no work attached to it, just honorary. Well, it's not that either. Uh, a few weeks ago, we had uh, Gary Gallant and, and Barb uh, come from Canada, uh, from a church that Mark and Debbie had spent time in. And Gary was speaking here a few Sundays uh, ago. We've had the opportunity to get to get, get to know Gary a little bit in the past few uh, months. He is an elder, obviously, of the church in Fredericton in New Brunswick, or or one of the elders of that church he's also a headmaster of a school and uh, he works hard at that whilst also being uh, an elder he's employed uh, to be a headmaster but he's also called to be an elder he's a he's a shepherd he's not a hired hand someone who goes into eldership mode on a sunday that's when i shepherd the flock he's just then now he's 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 called to be an elder of the church. Now obviously he's giving his time to a school and to the staff and the children in it, um, but eldership does not necessarily mean employed by the church. It, it may well involve that. It doesn't at this point uh, for Gary, but he is laying his life down. And so sometimes I've I've kind of woken up in the morning, a respectable hour. I've had some breakfast. I'm still yawning a little bit. Maybe drinking my first cup of coffee of the day. I think oh. I, I need to get in touch with Gary. I'll just Facebook him relatively early on in the day. I get an instant reply. I mean, well, that's strange because I'm in Sheffield and and you're in Fredericton and there's any number of time zones between us. I'm still waking up. It's It's got to be five o'clock or six o'clock at, at the latest. And he's replying immediately. He's laying his life down. The, uh, he's not just kind of shepherd on a sunday getting before god and that's part and parcel of 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 spending time with him nurturing his own relationship with him so he's in a posses- position to shepherd and shepherd well not just a hired hand who deserts uh the flock at any given moment so he's laying his life down that's the 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 role of the shepherd now we see in that passage in acts a problem that Paul anticipates. He says this in verse 29 of Acts 20. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, remember he is speaking just to the elders, even from among your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Paul anticipated that amongst this group of leaders that he loved and cherished, and enjoyed spending time with, and cried when he left. He knew that some would end up becoming troublemakers. And so what is the situation we encounter when we get to 1 Timothy? It's this, in 1 Timothy 1 verse 3, As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, stay in Ephesus, so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer. Now that could mean the elders had just become passive, And they had allowed others to hold sway and bring unhelpful teaching. And if you read through the first chapter, you can see kind of the gist of it. They were teachers of the law. They wanted to confidently teach stuff they didn't understand, but their focus was the law. What does Paul share about his own experience? He says, no, I'm a, it's about grace. There's another trustworthy saying, as it were, the grace of God got a hold of me. What's the role of a leader then? What's the role of a shepherd? Is to make sure that the sheep are receiving a message of grace, that the church is built on a foundation of grace, that heavy pressure isn't coming. coming. Coming in a preoccupation with the law and oughts and shoulds and performance targets and all the rest of it. That doesn't creep into the life of the church because it just kills it. But you've got this group of men either allowed to wrest authority away from the elders. Or it is actually the elders themselves who have drifted from the message of grace. Drifted from the gospel of Jesus and start teaching this is what you need to do to be acceptable to God. This is how you need to earn his favor. This is what, you have to be circumcised, or it has to be like this, or you have to read your Bible in this way, for this length of time, at this time of the day. Oh, just law, pressure. Oh, death, dry, awful leadership. Uh, So it's ever so important that we see this is a noble task. It could be then that back in that church, there'd be some guys who are just thinking, well, I don't want that responsibility. And maybe, maybe, maybe there's some elders, maybe this is a church that needs a new eldership. Uh, but you've got a bunch of godly men who are just thinking, I don't want to take that on. I've I've, I've got to kind of withstand these overconfident, trumped, trumped up super Christians. Or I, I've seen, I've seen the mistakes that others have made. And sometimes that's experience, isn't it? Uh, hopefully not so much in this church, but... It's every now and again, there'll be another story of how something has just exploded. A church life has just gone wrong or horrible, hidden sin comes to the surface. And there's a church thinking, we were doing our best to kind of respect you and submit to you. But now we're finding out this about what you've been saying or what you've been doing or who you've been spending time with. And just does tremendous damage. And so people can be wary. I, I don't want to take that on. Um, or just wary of leadership uh in general. So it's an oft it's a, a frequent quote that's that's made. I don't know if it was ever actually originally said by the guy it's, uh yeah, that's fine, you can take it back. Um, uh, but all that has to happen, all that is necessary for the triumph of evil, is that good men do nothing. Now, potentially that's a scenario that there is then in this church. These false teachers can emerge because good men think, nah, it's not for me. I don't want to lay my life down for that. It's, there's too much cost. There's, there's too much responsibility. There's too many nasty traps uh, that we'll look at later. But this is a noble task. Uh, it is It is good to, in faith, not in a kind of pushing, jostling for position, arrogant type way, but in humility and faith. Lord God, if you want if You want to call me to this, I want to do everything in my power to develop the character that would qualify me for it. And that's the kind of best way around, I suppose, to, to look at it. So what are the necessary character traits? We've looked at what an elder is actually to do, albeit in broad detail. What are elders actually called to be? What are we looking for? What are we expecting of them? And it's interesting to note that in this passage, as the kind of qualifications, if you like, for being an overseer uh, are are spelt out, it's interesting to see the things that aren't on the list. Um, What's not mentioned is IQ, or intelligence, or university education, or PhD even. Those things aren't there. That is it's not necessarily you're looking for people who would be the opposite, but it's a sense of that's not where the focus is here. The focus is not necessarily on worldly qualifications, on academic success, or business acumen, organizational stuff that's been learned there. Well, or perhaps that's involved um, for some. It's not a tick list of transferable skills. Particularly, there's one skill or one ability that is mentioned that is quite important, which is an ability to teach. Otherwise, how is a guy to actually shepherd um, and lead if it doesn't involve opening up the Word of God? But the focus is character, character, character. What's this guy's overall reputation? So a few weeks ago, I said we're going to be appointing uh, Richard Owen into... Into eldership, I believe we'll be appointing other men. We we'll see see God appoint other men into uh, positions of eldership um, uh, in the future as well. And I kind of said to the church, "Well, this this is a the time then to consider, it's kind of to get used to the idea." Well, what are we considering? Well, what's this guy's overall reputation? The Scripture says here, um, "The overseer must be above reproach." Now, I'd hasten to add that doesn't necessarily mean doesn't necessarily mean, it doesn't mean perfect, but it means, well, it goes on to use other words to describe it, temperate, not rash, self-controlled. He's able to, he's, a, he's mastered himself. He's not just attempting to master other people. He's actually taking control of his own life, his own lifestyle, his own relationships. He's self-controlled. He's above reproach, not without any fault at all, but, but a godly, mature, Christ-like bloke. The kind of bloke you want your children to be like. So overall reputation. But how does this guy cope under pressure? Well, it says not given to drunkenness. There can be unhelpful coping strategies for pressure in the workplace, or pressure in family life, when life is just going tough. What do we turn to? What do we reach for? How do we get through the day? Is it drinking just a bit too much? Or has that just become almost like a default position? Maybe it's not even drinking huge amounts, but always having something. That's not uh, that's not a good model, is it? It's not something that you'd want to emulate particularly. Doesn't mean he doesn't drink at all, but he controls it. And has a bit every now and again. It doesn't control him. How does he handle conflict? Well, he's not violent, but gentle. He's not quarrelsome. He's not, not contentious, not angsty. He doesn't turn a well-meaning discussion into an argument because he's just a bit too feisty and hot under the collar. How does he handle money? He's not a lover of money. Jesus said, didn't he, in Luke 16, that you can't serve two masters. You can't serve two gods. You can't serve God and money. You're going to love one and hate the other. Or hate love this one and hate the other. So so an elder or someone who's uh, qualified for being an overseer has got a loyal allegiance only trust in God. It's not saying how much money this guy earns or has earned in the past. It might be quite relatively wealthy. It might not be. But either way, he doesn't love the stuff. Again, he's got self-control. He's not controlled by money. He controls it. He prioritizes it well. He doesn't go chasing it. If he goes chasing money, he'll end up being the hired hand who deserts the sheep. Because he's more interested in something else. And God just needs to inconv- just move over a little bit. That's my goal. That's my orientation. That's the way I'm heading. But no, that's not a good way to go. If the guy is married, he's the husband of one wife. Now, you hope that would be relatively straightforward um, uh, to, to be qualified for. It tends to be a uh, pattern nowadays that you marry just one wife. Um what is that getting at? We think this guy—he's a one-woman man. He's faithful. He's demonstrated loving, servant-hearted leadership towards his towards his wife, who is the only woman that he has eyes for. If he has children, if they have children together, how is he managing his family? Do they see him? Uh, do they respect him? Is he laying down his life? For them. This is not a distant or aloof management. Managing one's family could sound a bit cold in some respects. We find out that uh, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, the priest and the Levite pass by. These religious guys who've got important business down the road in Jericho. It's the Good Samaritan who stops. What does he do? He takes care of the man who's been beaten up and is lying on the road. He he takes care of him. What do we find out here? If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? So he's doing both. He's not deserting his family for the higher calling of the church. He's loving his family. He's taking care, managing and taking care of his his family. And that's what qualifies him to be able to then do it uh, for a church as well not aloof management. It's important to oversee all areas of church life, but it's a taking care of, it's a shepherding, a loving, a laying down his life. So here's a a position, if you like, that is open to all Christ-like ordinary men uh, from a variety of backgrounds, different personalities, different God-given gifts, perhaps to a different extent able to teach but you might find some more prophetic some more administrative some uh, more teaching and preaching on pastoral and so on but Christ-like ordinary blokes from a variety of backgrounds who've got a proven reputation the focus of those qualifications is family life demonstrating godly character we can drift into And this is again. You might think, "What's this today got to do with me?" Because okay, maybe we will appoint twelve elders one day. That sounds quite ambitious, doesn't it? Um, But we're in this as a church, Um, and and therefore, what we're looking for is together is is godly men. If they have a family, if they're married, they've demonstrated that godliness there. Because what we can do is whether we realize it or not sometimes, is drift into thinking, no, it's not about family life and godly character. It's about work life and kind of business skills, if you like. Now, there can be important principles and stuff to be learned from that, but that's not where this is coming from. There are talented eldership teams that have exploded in fury and angst against each other because they have been very talented people who've stopped getting along. Um, because there's a heart problem. Uh, there's not a kind of humility. There's not a brotherly kindness. There's not a shepherding, laying down of one's life. There's There tends to be what happened amongst the disciples. And you, what do you have? You, again, Jesus had 12 disciples. All that number's cropped up again. Um, he spent time in particular with three. Uh, Peter, James, and John. And, and then at one point, you get two of the three coming up to Jesus and saying... We want you to do for us what we'd like. And when you come into your kingdom, we'd like to be either side of you. One on the right, one on the left. We're trying to cut Peter out of the deal. And say, so, oh, we're kind of, we want the best seats. We want the positions. It's just, I mean, that is ugly anyway, isn't it? It's importantly, it's important then, that an eldership team, it, it may not actually be all-star cast. Of the super talented. Because that's not what Paul is asking us to look for. It's character, character, character. So this is something to aspire to. And therefore I'd encourage, I mentioned at the outset, if you are a young man here, 15, 12, 18, 11, whatever it might be, your age, and just quietly, in your own heart, and perhaps even with your walk walk with God, you think, actually, I do feel an aspiration towards this. Again, the scripture is saying, this is a noble task. You're allowed to, in a humble, faith-filled way, trust in God, pursue it. But how are you going to pursue it? I would say this. Fix your eyes on Jesus, and make it your aim to be more and more like him. If you marry, make it your aim to have all those characteristics before you are married. Um, it's just it's a focus on godly character. God can do a lot with a guy of modest IQ, but who's developed that character and a love for this book. And God can call you to. All sorts. But for all of us, we also need to see that becoming an elder doesn't mean that that person suddenly changes who they are. Again, the focus is on character. So it's saying, when this person comes into character, comes into this position, they're not becoming somebody different. They're not kind of putting on a mask. They're not putting on a pretense. They're not speaking in a different tone of voice. Uh, that's not the focus. They're not kind of putting on an act. Uh, that's not necessary. Why is that important to know? Well, whoever our elders might be in the future, they'll all be still one of the sheep. They'll still have friends in the life of the church. And sometimes what can happen when someone comes into eldership is people just spend a little bit of time trying to suss out, well, how do we relate precisely now? That's understandable to a certain extent. What's unfortunate is if a friendship suddenly ends because your best mate has become an elder, think, oh, I better spend time with someone else because I don't know how to converse now. Uh, well, you're still friends, aren't you? In that sense, we are it's not. If you view life, if you view church life as some big massive hierarchy, then it can become unhelpful. And I don't think that happens massively amongst us, but sometimes, for some, they might just put, this person on a pedestal, and so uh, and almost dare not to approach this person for that reason because they, they so treat them with deference that they're not just cracking a joke anymore or treat with suspicion. I've been hurt in the past by leaders, so even though I know you, even though I've known you perhaps for 10 years, I, you've moved into a different category now, you've become a different species, and so I'm going to be a little bit wary. It's just something to mention because I think we just need to be aware of that. We're friends together, we're family together on a mission in God. And God calls different ones of us to different roles at different times for different reasons. Um, Essentially, we're brothers and sisters, not an organisational flowchart of people that it's okay to be friends with and others that you just think, that's a bit weird, I'm going to change that now. Um, Doesn't happen much, but I can remember in one scenario just thinking, I... in a big social situation for the whole church, just wandering up, sitting down with a bunch of guys, thinking, I'm, I'm approaching my friends. And uh, I am friends with these guys, and they are friends with me. However, it's the kind of awkward joke. Oh, shh! Don't talk about that now. There's an elder at the table. Oh, get a life. <laughs> We're friends together. We don't need to have that. I know sometimes there's just that that awkwardness, but no, let's not settle for that kind of, worldly view of church life, that we end up putting each other at arm's length and treating each other strangely. We're friends. As far as it is in your power, act natural. So noble task, necessary character. Before concluding, we need to look at the nasty traps. We see a couple of these. This shows us why is proven character so important. Why does it matter that an elder or overseer uh, resembles what we see here in terms of these qualifications. Well, uh, verses 5 and 6 mention two traps, conceit and disgrace. It also mentions somebody else that we've not brought into the equation so far, and that is the devil. He gets two mentions in these verses. The first trap, conceit. Or if you like, pride, is the trap that the devil himself fell into. An angel who was in a, if you like, exalted position, he became impressed more with himself than he was with God. More interested in his own glory than in God's. The devil means the slanderer. Because he's exalted himself... And become a slanderer of God. And any disciple can be vulnerable to the same sin, the same judgment that the devil stumbled into. Leadership has been described as heady stuff. Because if we're not careful, it can go to our heads. We can think of ourselves more highly than we ought. If we are answering questions or defending decisions, and we most frequently begin our answers with the words, well, let me tell you what I think. We're on a slippy, slippery slope. We're on a sticky wicket. We're in dangerous territory. Titus 1 verse 7, is there's another passage where uh, Paul is writing to Titus, uh, also to talk about, here's what to look for in elderships. He says, An overseer or an elder has been entrusted with God's work. It's what God thinks that matters. An elder or an overseer will have to give an account, therefore, to God for everything that he has, and as a team, they have overseen. Other scripture talks about double honour, but there's kind of double trouble if you stuff it up. So, Paul mentions the solution here is that an elder mustn't be a recent convert. Maybe someone who's just come to Christ is more vulnerable uh, to that kind of pride and arrogance that can develop into throwing one's weight around. And churches can suffer greatly under that kind of leadership. Can you see? Character, character, character. It's so important. A second trap is disgrace. And this is the trap. That in a variety of ways, the devil is keen to set, to lay, to lay snares in and around family life, in and around church life, in and around community life. Wanting to set snares to catch people. He's got many crafty tricks and, and tactics to discredit the gospel. And he's going to try and do that. By discrediting Jesus' disciples. And what better tactic, in some respects, to employ them than just trying to discredit the leaders? Because if you discredit the leaders, and if you show them up into disgrace, then, again, a massive amount of damage is done. And so here is a temptation, in some ways, to compromise. Where leaders are kind of, just start edging into dodgy territory, and develop a dual identity. When I'm with the church, I do the stuff. I put on the act. When I'm elsewhere, perhaps when no one else is looking, I'm, I'm accommodating. I've, I'm doing something different. He's saying here, it's important that he's got a good rep- reputation, not just with people inside the church, but people outside the church too. It's like There shouldn't be a mismatch. There shouldn't be a a credibility gap. Well, that's what you are in public, but I've seen you down a pub. I've seen you and what you say and how you conduct yourself in the workplace, amongst friends or neighbours. Now, let's go back again to Acts chapter 20. We can learn a lot there about what eldership involves. But let's look again at the warning that Paul gives those elders. In verse 28, it begins, keep watch over yourselves. Keep watch over yourselves. And all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God. And actually, perhaps that identifies for all of us our primary responsibility. For the good of God's church and for the glory of his gospel. Keep watch over yourselves. But Paul is writing that particularly to elders in the church. I said a while ago, um, perhaps as we neared the end of Nehemiah, I said, if I allow any sin to go unchecked in my life, it will be a yeast that spreads throughout the dough. That's not just the case for me, that's the case for all of us who are a member of the church. If we accommodate sin, if we allow, as Sarah was mentioning earlier, that ivy to grow up around the tree, the tree is going to die at some point. The ivy will just swamp it. It won't be fruitful in the slightest. So if I allow sin to go unchecked in my life, that will damage this church. That's true of you too, but here's the challenge is in particular to leaders. Sometimes after the spiritual high of ministry, there can be an emotional low. And you can bet it would probably be your family who find out about that first. You can kind of patch it up, pretend it isn't there and go back out into ministry. Oh, thank you so much for what you said today. I found it so helpful. Would you pray for me? Yes, I will pray for you. Um, it, can, it, can, it can be heady stuff that boosts one's ego and then leaves one oh, a bit flat later on. How, what am I going to do now? Something I probably shouldn't. Got to keep watch over ourselves. That's why during a two-week holiday, Rachel and I had to have an evening where I just said, Actually, I just need to repent of my grumpiness. Think, oh, let's just accommodate. It's, I'm tired, I could say. I kind of pulled my back in a funny, strange way. I've not really done that before. Um, there can be a long list of everyday typical excuses to justify cranky dad or cranky husband. I mustn't do it. It has to be dealt with. But we've all had that exhortation today, haven't we? Ivy growing up the tree. Oh, it kind of looks pretty. Let it grow for another year. Well, in your garden, do what you want. Make your own judgement. But in terms of what the, of what the illustration was heading towards, don't do that with your heart. Don't do that with your life. The world needs healthy, vibrant churches. Therefore, the church needs healthy, vibrant disciples. And therefore, also, the church needs healthy, vibrant elders. We need to be ruthless with our sin. We need to give our attention to our character. We need to love, if we have one, uh, the family, the household to which we are uh, responsible. Um, because there are nasty traps that the enemy lays because he wants to thwart God's work. As a whole church together, we are called to important work, a big vision, multiple congregations, and seeing people saved in the gospel. Then discipling them in, discipling them in the faith. Well, what are we discipling them into? Are we saying, this is what the Bible says, but don't follow my example. Or are we saying, actually, to a certain extent, yes, come and follow me as I follow Jesus, as I learn afresh to lay my life down for him as I learn afresh to trust him and follow him and honour him and worship him. And we'll discover that during that time, it's becoming evident and we can kind of see it. There are different people think, yeah, actually, there are elders, there are overseers emerging. It's not the call for everyone. Godly men uh, may not be called into that particular function in church life. And we might not get to 12 straight away, but it's important every step of our journey... As a church, actually we are seeing elders appointed and we're seeing uh, us as as a church move on. If you have aspirations towards leadership in that way, you might think, well, it's just not open to me now. Well, maybe not. But who knows what God has planned in the coming months and years. My encouragement is, as well as consider your character, is serve God now. Serve God now with the opportunities that present themselves and that are open to you. And own that responsibility. Teens and young people, look around at the opportunities to serve that there are. I threw a bit of a curveball this morning, but as soon as I stood up to say, if you want a Bible, raise a hand, and the bucket's are going to be passed around, um, we have people serving and just doing it, making it happen. Sometimes what's conspicuous, though, is... Young guys, you aren't doing it. <laughs> You're leaving it to godly girls uh, to serve and spy those opportunities. And I'm not saying that they shouldn't. It's fantastic. But guys, it's open to you too. Just, It can be simple things. It can be straightforward things. It's looking for opportunities to serve and saying, I'm going to give myself to that. We'll see what God's got planned for me in the future, but I'm looking for opportunities to serve now. And so that would be my encouragement to you young guys in particular. But together... Let's pursue godliness. Let's agree together that we are family and friends on this mission, however many elders we might have in the future. This passage of Scripture helps us as God continues to shape us. Let's continue moving forward in faith, trusting, and looking forward to what God's going to do amongst us. Amen? Amen. Let's uh, let's pray them. like Chris said, we're going to worship God some more.